What a blessing it is to open the Word among God's people. It's my highest privilege. It's just such an honor to be able to be trusted to open God's Word in your presence and uh, with our hearts united together. And I'm excited, and you know why. It's because we're beginning a new series. I'm always excited about what God has next. Are you excited? Okay, are you excited? Okay, good. And uh, our series is called Walking with Pete. Now, we're going to be in the letter of First Peter. And you may not know much about First Peter, or you may have read it here and there, or pieces uh, there and again in a, a part of a message or a study that you were doing. Uh, but I want to orient us as we begin. First uh, Peter and then Second Peter were written about 30 years after the events of the gospel. 30 years after Jesus died and was raised from the dead and then ascended into heaven. And then the, the Holy Spirit came upon the people in Jerusalem. And this whole beginning of the church started. So that's a pretty long time. And we need to understand what was going on uh, at the time that these letters were written. Uh, there was a great persecution going on. So First Peter is often thought of as a letter of encouragement. If you're going through a hard time, if you find yourself in a time of persecution, people pressing against you, this is a letter that you will often turn to or that you will be led to. These letters were written just before this great persecution under Nero in 64 AD. Nero became emperor when he was just 16 years old. And he was horrible. He's probably the worst of the persecutors. He did wretched things to the people. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we get into the study. But he could not have been a more immature teenager to be handed all this power to just do whatever he wanted and to focus on himself. The letters were written from Rome. And Peter refers to the Rome as Babylon, uh, which gives you a clue as to how difficult these times were. And, and he's addressing some things that Paul had talked about in his letters. How you're supposed to honor the king. How do you honor a king who is absolutely wretched and horrible and doing terrible, terrible things? Now, all of that wasn't unleashed quite yet. Uh, but there was a persecution going on. There was a hostility toward believers, uh, mostly expressed in slander and ridicule and discrimination against believers. Here are these people, they have been part of a pagan culture and suddenly they changed. And, and people did not appreciate that. You're, you're weird now because you worship this God and you talk about loving people and you, you express uh, devotion toward God and this guy Jesus and they did not get it and they persecuted those people for their beliefs. Gee, does that sound familiar? Yeah. I mean, a lot of it, and we're not into a horrible time of persecution, but we know what it's like to have that sort of social persecution going on. And we need to understand that. But we also need to understand who wrote these letters before we go into them. We're not going to touch First Peter today, but we're going to try to understand who Pete was and who we're going to be walking with. We want to get to know this guy. We want to meet the rock. And that's, uh, that's our focus on, on this weekend. So I want to take you all the way back to the beginning. Uh, where, we first, where we first meet Peter. But it's where Jesus first meets Peter. And it's in, uh, it's in John chapter 1 beginning verse 35. 
And let me just tell you a little bit of the orientation for this passage of Scripture. It's on 886 of the Bibles that are out there. And if you don't own a Bible, change that today by taking home a Bible. Put your name in it and begin to read and study the Word of God. Two of Jesus' disciples uh, were actually first disciples of this guy named John. I call him John the Baptizer because he wasn't Baptist. Just... I'm not trying to insult the Baptist, but there wasn't a Baptist church back then. So he wasn't John the Baptist. He was John the Baptizer because that's what he did. And, and it's Andrew is one of them. And Andrew is the one who introduces Jesus to his brother. And that's how we meet Pete. So let's look at the word of God. And we're in uh, John 1 beginning verse 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following him and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now let's stand and honor the word of God and give thanks. Father, I thank you so much for every word that's in your book. Every word that you have breathed upon pages so that we might understand, we might take hold of what life is all about. And we pray that as we begin this study, that you would speak to us in the ways we need, each and every one of us. Do your work among us and in us. Change us as you see fit by the presence of your Holy Spirit and by the work of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. We want to get to know this guy, Pete. Simon Peter, also called Simon Barjona, also called Cephas. So we want to know what that is. I was meditating upon the word this week, the, the passage of scripture, and it occurred to me, what an odd meeting this is. You meet someone and usually you say, Well, what's your name? Uh, Jesus doesn't do that. He already knows. He says, well, your name is Simon, son of John. I already know. Well, that's pretty cool. Jesus already knows you when you meet him. But then he has this other thing. He's going to change his name. How would you like that? You meet someone. You know, Tom, you're here on the second row. And if someone came and said, hi, I know your name is Tom, but I'm going to call you Bob. What a... What a peculiar thing. 
And yet it's really not peculiar. There's a lot of layers in that one sentence that we're going to unwrap a little bit later. The truth is uh, that few people have as many layers of, of tradition and presumption as Peter. I mean, all through history, he's a, he's a huge guy. You say uh, Peter and you might get the image of the guy sitting at the pearly gate. There's lots of little pictures of that. A guy who's there and he's the one that's going to make the final call. Well, I've got the listing here. And you got a lot that you had to make up for that you didn't make up for. And so either you're going to get in or not get in. And that's one of the images that we have. And that relates to I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't have anything to do with getting in the pearly gates. But we have images like that that we hold sometimes even in our culture. Sometimes we even use his name in vain. People will say, well, for Pete's sake. And, and what they're doing is they're trying to avoid taking Christ's name in, in vain and in emptiness. And so they fill it in. Just so you know, this is the Pete that they're talking about. If they say for Pete's sake, it's not Pete Maravich or Pete Rose, okay? We might take them in vain in another time, all right? But he was one of the first followers of Jesus. And we know that. Uh, he was among the most prominent figures that we see in the New Testament movement of Christ. Uh, he, if, if Moses and Elijah we see as the pillars of, of, of the prophets in the Old Testament, uh, Peter and Paul are the pillars of prophecy in the New Testament. We have two strong, strong pillars in, in each of our testaments. What's interesting is he never wrote a gospel. Of, of all the people that we might expect to have written a gospel, he didn't write. He didn't write a gospel. He wrote later, and we're going to be into his own words as we study First and Second Peter. Uh, but we need to also understand that he had significant influence upon the gospel of Mark. John Mark, we learn, was a companion of Peter later. John Mark wasn't witness to anything. But he heard the witness of Peter. Sometimes when I've taught on the gospel of Mark, I've called it the gospel of Peter because it actually has that much influence from Peter in it. So Simon Bar-Jonah, he grew up in a village called Bethsaida. And you can see it there on the map. It's on the north, a little bit to the east side of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, its uh, name means house of fishermen. So it was a fishing village. It's fascinating because we actually have just learned the actual location. They sort of knew where it was. But a friend of ours, Dr. Stephen Notley, uh, has been part of excavation. You may have read about it. It's a huge deal. Really over about the last five or six years, but especially in the, about the last two years, excavation of the actual site of Bethsaida. How did that happen? Because the water was down and they found it. They located the original location of Bethsaida. But he lived in Capernaum, about six miles away from Bethsaida. You can see it down a little bit on the map. Now, Capernaum is referred to in uh, the gospel as Jesus's own town. You know how we often have a hometown. Jesus's hometown was what? Come on. Nazareth, okay, Nazareth, but then he made, he made Capernaum his own town. It was his headquarters. It's the place of influence for him. I would say my hometown is Maitland, Florida. That's where I grew up. 
But my own town is, is Melbourne, Florida. This is where we've made our ministry and our life together. And so in a similar way, Jesus moved to Capernaum, and there he found these fishermen. We know that Pete was married. We know that from Scripture. He probably located a cute girl down the road six miles away. And we also know that uh, Jesus, he brings Jesus to heal his mother-in-law. That's one of the episodes in the Scripture. We also know that he was a business partner with two sons of Zebedee. So there were three of them that were in this fishing business, just getting to know him a little bit. Pete met Jesus through his brother, Andrew. We don't know that much about Andrew. I would assume that Andrew was also a fisherman, but it never says that. He seems that maybe he was studying to be a rabbi because he was, he was listening to these different preachers and folks like that. But he's the one who brings uh, Jesus or brings his, his brother, Pete, to come and meet, uh, meet Jesus. He had been following John the baptizer and he heard John the baptizer declare, that's the Lamb of God. And so he knew this had to be Messiah. So Pete was one of the fishermen called by Jesus to become a fisher of men. We use that phrase a lot. He is clearly the most prominent of the 12. There's just no question about this. Most of the disciples are hardly mentioned in the Gospels. John, he's very prominent, but he's called the disciple Jesus loved. He's only mentioned 20 times in the Gospels. I mean, he wrote a Gospel. Uh, he calls himself the disciple Jesus loved. He doesn't even mention his own name. And it's about the same for Judas Iscariot. The betrayer. So you've got the betrayer and the one Jesus loved. They're mentioned about the same number of times. Andrew is mentioned 12 times. That's not very many. Thomas the doubter is mentioned uh, 10 times. And then the others just a few times. Bartholomew and James the son of Alphaeus, uh, Simon the zealot, Thaddeus, are only mentioned about three times. But get ready for this. Simon Peter is mentioned over 120 times in the Gospels. Say, wow. wow. Yeah. That's huge. I mean, you weigh that. It's a huge difference. In nearly every episode of Jesus' ministry and all the things that go on, Peter's nearby. He's close by. Now, that can mean a couple of things. It could mean that he's actually the one that Jesus loved. You know, just always had him close by. It could also mean that he's the one he always needed to keep his eye on. Maybe a mixture of the two. You know how if you have several kids, you, you might leave them with a babysitter and you say, now these two you don't need to worry about, but keep your eye on that one. <laughs> By the way, I was always that one. <laughs> and Peter's that way. He's the one, that, you never know what was going to happen with him. So Jesus says, I'm going to call you Cephas, which is Aramaic. It's the Aramaic form of, of Peter. Cephas means rock, and so we know that Peter Petros means rock. Uh, Peter was the Greek word, uh, and he says, well, I'm going to call you by your Aramaic name. Now, some people uh, misunderstand that. They think Aramaic is Arabic. It's not. It would actually be a common form of Hebrew that developed while they were in Babylon. It's influenced by Syrian and, and Babylonian language, but it's actually a form of Hebrew like a modernized Hebrew that had developed. At the time of Jesus, this is what the Jewish people spoke. 
In the same way that the, the Roman people spoke Koine or common Greek. This was like common Hebrew. And he says, well, I'm going to call you, uh, I'm going to call you Cephas. And, and later, you know, Jesus officially calls uh, Peter to come and follow him. And there's a miraculous catch of fish when that happens. But Pete, he lived as a disciple of the Lord Jesus for the next three years. And being a natural born leader, he becomes the de facto spokesman. I mean, for better or for worse, he's always talking. And, and sometimes he gets his foot in his mouth, as, as we know. But there's some high points. Peter was the first to confess that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God. You remember that episode in Matthew 16. Jesus took his disciples on kind of a staff retreat. He withdrew far, far to the north, about as far to the north as you can get in Israel uh, from Jerusalem, from where the cross was going to be. He takes them to that place. It was actually a very pagan place. And it had a huge cave there that was, uh, that was called the Gates of Hell. Why would he go there? And we find out. He's there on this staff retreat and he says, well, what are you hearing, guys? Who, who do they say that I am? What are, what's the talk? What are they beginning to understand about me? And they start to answer that question and they say, well, I don't know. Some of them say you're John the Baptist that's come back and some think that you're uh, Elijah or one of the prophets, uh, maybe the great prophet. And then Jesus asks this very important question. He says, okay, that's what they say. Who do you say that I am? It's one of the critical questions of our faith. Because it doesn't really matter what all the other people are saying. Who do you say that I am? And Pete is the first one to sort of blurt out, well, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. As if, <clears throat> isn't that obvious who you are? And so he brings that confession uh, out. And Jesus says, you know, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. That was revealed uh, divinely to you. And he says, now, upon this rock, and he's not talking about Peter the rock, upon that confession, I will build my church. And the gates of hell, which were right there. That's what they called this horribly pagan place. A huge cave opening. We go there when we visit Israel. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus actually went to the, the very, what was understood as the opening of hell and said, I'm kind of throwing down the gauntlet. And he begins his journey toward the cross from that place. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So Simon Peter, he, he becomes part of a sort of inner circle in the ministry of Jesus with James and John. And that means he's witness to some things that nobody else saw except James and John. Uh, do you remember when Jesus raised the daughter of Jairus? How he gets there and everybody says, you're too late. What were you doing, Jesus? I mean, they don't say it quite like that, but it's like, she's already dead. My daughter's dead. If you had gotten here, you know, things would have been better. We're dilly-dallying around with somebody in the crowd saying, who touched me? That sort of thing. And Jesus says, do not fear, only believe. And then he goes in and he clears everybody out, all the people who are weeping and crying and all that sort of thing. And he goes in and he says, uh, and he has only Peter, James, and John with him. And he says, I tell you, little girl, rise up. 
and he, he raises her from the dead. Now that's a big deal. It's a big deal because it's one of the things that only Messiah could do. Why did he clear everyone out? Probably because he didn't want everybody to really see yet that he is Messiah. You can't rush things. He's still on his way, his pathway to the cross. And so he makes sure that, that there weren't a lot of people around there. And he, and he actually says, no, she was only asleep. Well, she was dead. She was dead, dead. And he raised her from the dead. When Jesus was transfigured on the mountain, where suddenly he's changed into this uh, glorious Christ image. And who is there with him? Moses and Elijah. And there's this <laughs> committee meeting going on. It's just phenomenal. And Peter, James, and John are watching this. They're just really blown away. They were the ones who, who witnessed that. Peter and John uh, were given the special task of preparing the Passover meal. We got to make sure the Last Supper is right, in the right place, has all the right things. So these three were, were actually then closest to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember how he was praying and they kept falling asleep. And then he, he took the three of them a little closer and says, now stay awake. Of course, they didn't stay awake. But he had them closest to him in the most agonizing time. And the scripture says that uh, Jesus said, I, my soul is grieved to the point of death. Very powerful statement. If you've, ever, if you've ever been deeply troubled, deeply depressed, Jesus understands the hard times in life. And so they were there nearby. But Peter also had a spectacular experience. And it was when uh, they were out on the sea and Jesus comes walking across the water. Wow. Just to witness that would be so fabulous, amazing. Jesus comes walking and, uh, and Peter says, well, call me out. He steps out of the boat. He steps onto the water and he's walking on water. How amazing is that? Would you like to do that? I, I've never tried it, but <laughs> what an amazing thing. He's walking on the water. And we know how that story goes, that he has his eyes on Jesus. This is so cool. And then he takes his eyes off Jesus. He looks at the wind. He looks at the waves. I have a feeling that he was going along and he said, hey, guys, look at this. <laughs> and whatever the case, he, he, he drops, he plummets into the water. And of course, Jesus is there to lift him up. How is that for a unique experience? Would that build your faith? That would make my faith rock solid. At least I think that it would. It was just an amazing moment. So that was Pete. Peter often jumped ahead without thinking. Uh, he was enthusiastic, strong-willed, impulsive. These are the things that are written about him. He was sometimes brash. And Jesus even had to rebuke Peter uh, for resisting the plan to go to Jerusalem. Right after he had declared, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he gets this praise. Wow, you are the one who got it. Then Jesus begins to explain to them uh, that the son of man is going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to be betrayed into the hands of sinful men. He's going to be uh, hurt and crucified and is going to die. And Pete goes, no way. Forget that. Not as long as I'm still here. And, 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 he, and he resists that. And Jesus immediately says, do you remember? He says, get behind me, Satan. And he wasn't saying that Pete was Satan, but he was saying, that's the voice of, uh, of an enemy. You're expressing the voice of an enemy in, in this place by resisting the plan. That's the plan. And that's the way that, uh, that the kingdom is going to be built and overcome the gates of hell 
and you didn't get all of the message there. So he's rebuked after the transfiguration. Uh, Peter suggested, uh, oh, this is so cool. We've got these three guys that have shown up. And so let's build three tabernacles. We'll we're going to hang out here. Let's have a building program. <laughs> and, and so let's build buildings for them. And, and Jesus says, no, no, that's not what this is all about. When Peter, uh, when Jesus was arrested, you remember how Peter was the one who drew a sword. We didn't know he had a sword, but he had a sword. And he lopped off the ear of the servant of the high priest. Now, we know how that ends. But you know, it could have ended very differently. That could have been a slaughter of all of the disciples in that moment. You have a cohort of Roman soldiers there. And you lop off the ear of the, of, I mean, they could have just ended this whole thing right then. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. And he, and he says, if you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. And he picks up the ear and puts it back on. There you go. No problem. No harm, no foul. <laughs> and they're all just kind of, did we see, did we really see what we just saw? It's one of the very last miracles that, that Jesus ever performed. It's this marvelous moment. Um, and, and Peter didn't plan it that way, but it ended up to be a marvelous moment. After the resurrection, uh, there's a lot of defeat or a sense of defeat, especially for Peter. And he's the one who says, well, let's go fishing. Or he actually says, I'm going fishing. If you want to come, you can come. And they, and they go out on the water. They don't catch anything all night. And he's the one who puts on his outer garment, which would weigh you down if you were in water. You didn't want your outer garment on. Puts on his outer garment and steps out onto the water and sinks <laughs> and then swims in. And we see that he was always kind of stepping out, speaking out in ways that he probably should not have. One of the amazing things about Pete is that he's so flawed. There are a number of places in scripture that are like that. Moses has his flaws. Abraham has his flaws. Sometimes people say, you know, the Bible, it's just a made up book. Seriously? If we were going to make up a book, wouldn't we make it a lot cleaner than this? Why would you have people like this who are so flawed and so struggling? Because that's us. It reflects what we need. I, I don't know about you, but I have related more to Peter at many, many times in my life than I'd like to count. Say, wow, I get it. I get what that's about. The most profound flaw for Peter was his boast that he would never forsake Jesus. Even if everybody else forsakes you, I will not forsake you. And Jesus has to sort of painfully say, yeah, you will. Really? Yeah, in fact, not once, twice, three times before dawn, you're going to deny that you even know me. That must have been just stunning for Pete to hear. And later he does. He denies him three times. He denies that he even knows him. I don't even know the guy. And so we, we see these flaws along the way and and then the things that he grows, the ways that he grows out of that. You know, there are a number of resurrection appearances that, in the scripture that we, we look to and that give us affirmation of faith. But the Bible actually lists a resurrection appearance to, to Peter alone in two different places. And we don't know any details about it. We just know that, and he appeared to Peter. We don't know where it was. In fact, when we, we wrote the musical here several years ago, it was centered on that, that at some point 
Jesus went out. I think he went out to find Peter and said, look, come back. We've got to restore you. We're, the story is not over. I think Pete was ready to quit. And, and, and Jesus went to find him. Resurrected Christ went to find him and to bring him back. I think this may have been uh, uh, an initial meeting of restoration. Later on, Peter's going to still face these three questions. Simon, do you love me more than these? He's nets. You're back to fishing? Really? Well, you say you love me. Feed my sheep. Do you really love me? Do you truly love me? Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. And he has these questions of restoration. If he's going to be a shepherd over the church, which he ends up to be, he needs to be committed to that. In the book of Acts, it's a whole new Pete. After the the outpouring of the Spirit, Peter is the first leading figure of the early church. Uh, The Spirit is poured out at Pentecost, and he is transformed profoundly. I mean, you cannot miss this. You go, is this the same guy? Uh, Because he's so bold, he's so strong as he preaches the first sermon of the the church era. 3,000 are saved on that day. It's just amazing. But that's not all. Uh, He was present when the Samaritans received the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 8. He receives this vision of a great sheet lowering down all kinds of animals, clean and uh, the unclean animals. And and he hears the Lord saying, eat, eat this stuff. And and he said, I can't eat that. That's unclean. I've been kosher my whole life. I can't eat unclean stuff. And God says to him, don't call something I've created unclean. And, And it's a message about reaching the Gentiles. Don't look out there at the pagan world and say, you're too unclean for me to associate with you. We get that way sometimes. Uh, Jesus is saying, uh, I died for those people. And so you need to reach those people. The pagan world is who we are sent to reach. And and then he he comes to the home of the Roman centurion, Cornelius. uh, And he believed and he received the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we, we will hear a teaching that, that uh, Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles and Peter was the apostle to the Jews. Not so. I mean, we see it right here that Peter opened the door of the gospel to the Jews and the Samaritans and the Gentiles. He was doing exactly what he was led to do. And, and Peter defended Gentile believers. He was adamant that they did not have to come under the Jewish law before they believed in Christ. But did he struggle with that? Sure he did. Later we learned that when he was in Antioch, they were having a big meeting and there were Jewish believers and there were uh, Gentile believers there. And then there were some legalistic Jews who showed up and they said, Pete, what are you doing? Why Why are you eating, having fellowship with these Gentiles? We've never done that. And what did he do? He pulled back. Peer pressure. He knew about that. We feel it sometimes. He pulled back and he said, okay, I, I, I'm going to just eat with you guys. I'm going to not eat with them. And who rebukes him? It's the Apostle Paul. He says he, re, says he rebuked him to his face for, for rejecting the Gentile believers. So while we don't have a, a gospel of Peter, we, we do have uh, John Mark and the writings of the gospel of Mark. But Pete wrote these two letters during some of the most challenging times of persecution that the Christian world has ever experienced. Now, Jesus predicted that that would happen. 
He predicted that Peter would die a martyr's death. And there at the very end in John chapter 21, he says, and, and you're going to be a place where you're going to be led to a place you do not want to go. Uh, and that's what's going to be happening to you. And that was fulfilled in the time of the reign of Nero, this terrible, uh, terrible emperor. And tradition says, now this is not in the scripture, but tradition says that Peter actually requested to be crucified upside down. You may have heard that. It's a strong tradition. It's an old tradition to be crucified upside down because he said, I am not worthy to be crucified in the same position, the same manner as my Lord Jesus. That's where he ends up. And that's the guy who was writing the letters that we're going to be studying across the summer. Now, a question some of you might have on your mind, was Peter the first pope? Because we'll hear that sometimes. Um, and just so we understand it, the word pope is Latin for papa, uh, or Greek is papas, and it means father. And so the pope is the holy father. Uh, and it's been used, that, that title has been used since about the ninth century A.D., and as for the person who is elected to be the head of the Roman Catholic Church. Now, not to disparage that, but Peter was never a pope. Uh, he, he wasn't living at a time or leading at a time when there was a Roman Catholic Church. That's about the 5th century. Now, that's not to disparage uh, the honoring of Peter as a beginning point in the faith of Roman Catholics, but it is to realize that if someone, if you go, if you're in heaven and you see Peter and you say, hey, Pope Peter, he'll be baffled by that. <laughs> it, it's not a title that he ever carried. So my big question for this weekend is, is simply this. Would you like to spend some time with that guy, with Pete, and get to know him better? And we might ask, which Pete? Uh, the brash fisherman who often got his foot in his mouth? Or the sinking water walker. <laughs> I think I know those guys a little bit. Uh, maybe the defeated denier, who I think was ready to quit. Uh, who did precisely the thing he swore he would never do. And then was restored. Or perhaps the bold preacher of Pentecost. And the truth is that we're going to get to know all of those. Because all of those contribute to the man who became the encourager of the church, growing out of all those experiences. Aren't you glad that God doesn't quit on us along the way? Someone say hallelujah. <laughs> I'm really, really glad. Because sometimes we look at a moment in time and we say, well, you're no good. And that's actually the voice of the, of the enemy, that, that kind of accusation. So we look at this beginning point. In the beginning, rock meets Simon the rock. Jesus is the rock of our salvation, and he meets this guy named Rock. And, and he, he has some, maybe some fun with his name. Simon Peter had no idea who he was meeting. When we first meet Jesus, we usually don't have any idea who we are meeting. Uh, but there was a vision that was given as he, as he gave this name change. Uh, and, and he gave some insight. He says, go back to the sentence, you are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Your name is Simon. It's the second oldest of the 12 sons of, uh, of Israel, sons of Jacob. 
And, and he was an impetuous one. He was quick to react and retaliate. He was sharp with his anger. So it really kind of fits. The name is Shimon, and it's from the word Shema. Does that sound familiar? Shema, Shema Israel. Hear, O Israel. It means to hear, to be a hearing one. And so he's, he's saying to him, you're one who hears, Shimon, Israel, Shimon. Uh, I know that you listen, and I know that you need to hear from me. And then he says, and you're the son of John. You're someone's son. That's important on this weekend to us. To realize we have earthly roots. We have someone who shaped us. Uh, John had to have been a fisherman who taught him to fish. Who taught him the ways of life. Who taught him all these things. And, and Jesus is saying, I don't deny any of that. That is really important in your life. The one who shaped you. But there's more here. You're someone's son and you have roots. But I'm going to call you Cephas. Now, Cephas is Aramaic. It's the Aramaic form of Peter, which means rock. Peter, Petros, means a large rock. But I learned something this week. Aren't you glad when your pastor learns something? Good. Because I share it with you. But Cephas, it's also pronounced Kephas, means hollow rock. It's right there in the definition. And I've never heard that taught. And he says, I'm going to call you, your name is Rock, but I'm going to call you hollow rock. Jesus always sees who we really are. And I think Jesus was saying, Pete, I can tell you've got an outward appearance that's strong. You think you're tough and, and you're the fisherman guy. And you've got this outward a facade of strength. But I also know that you are hollow and you need to be filled up. And that's how each one of us meets Jesus. What an amazing thing. You look solid and strong on the outside and you, you carry some pride in that strength. But I know that on the inside you are empty. But I'm going to fill you up. I know your emptiness. That's the place we all start. Jesus never says, I see you and I like you on my team because I think you're such a strong player. He never says that. He says, I can see your emptiness and I see someone that I can fill and I can fulfill all that you were designed to be. I'm here to fill that need. I know what you're designed for. I think on Father's Day, that's very powerful. I think it's powerful for all men. That Jesus sees us and he says, I see, I see you that strong exterior, but I'm ready to fill you up. I think it's a powerful statement for every one of us, men and women. Jesus might have also said, Simon Peter, Cephas, you're going to fail, but I won't give up on you, so don't give up on me. Jesus sees it all. Jesus could have gone through, at one point he did, he said, I have to explain to you, Peter, that before the night is over, you're, you're not going to just deny me, you're going to deny me, say you don't even know me three times. You know, when we first meet Jesus, Jesus could say uh, to us, uh, let me just list all the failures you're going to have in your life. How discouraging would that be? Jesus doesn't do that. He could say that. But what he does say, and he says in scripture is, I will never fail you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Someone say hallelujah. Because that's really, really good news. 
You are also Shimon, the listener. So keep listening and I will fill you up and you will become who you were designed to be. And we see a lot of that shaping in, in his words in the hard times in First Peter. So are you ready to begin the journey with Pete? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word and we thank you so much for the story of your people. We thank you for Pete. We thank you for this guy that is so real. He, he, has, he has so many difficult times and flaws and yet we can relate to that. We pray that we might find ourselves in the words of Peter. We might find encouragement in the words of Peter. We might be lifted up in the hard times by what you have done in him. And we give thanks to you in Jesus' name. Amen.